Welcome to the Flatline with your host, Rick Hughes. For the next 30 minutes, you'll be inspired, motivated, educated, but never manipulated. Now, your host, Rick Hughes. Morning, and welcome to the Flatline. I'm your host, Rick Hughes, and for the next 30 minutes, I would like to invite you to stay with me. It's going to be 30 minutes of motivation, inspiration, education, all done with no manipulation because we don't have hidden agendas. We say this every Sunday. It's our typical lead-in every Sunday. But we're not here to con you. We're not here to try to solicit anything from you. We're only here for one reason, to give you accurate information that will assist you, information that will help you verify and identify the plan of God for your life. If you're interested in orienting and adjusting to the plan, you have the freedom, you have the privacy to do just that. Excuse me, that's up to you. But my job is to give you some accurate information. Remember, we call our show the FLOT line, F-L-O-T, and that stands for the Forward Line of Troops. The basic premise of our show is that there are 10 unique problem-solving devices that every Christian needs to learn. If he learns these 10 unique problem-solving devices, then it's possible that he can stop the outside sources of adversity before they become the inside sources of stress. That's why we always say adversity is inevitable, but stress is optional. These unique problem-solving devices are things that our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, used when he walked in the devil's world. When he ascended into, when he descended into mankind, When he moved into this arena of of conflict called Earth, this is how he operated. This is what he demonstrated for us. These are not unique new things. These are not some breakthroughs. These are things that he used. Now, he never had to confess any sin like we do. That's always problem-solving device number one, confessing our sin. It's called the rebound technique. 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sin... He's faithful and just to forgive us and to purify us from all wrongdoing. That's the secret to the filling of the Holy Spirit. We cannot be filled with the Holy Spirit as long as we're quenching and grieving the Holy Spirit with unconfessed sin in our life. The second problem-solving device is the filling of the Holy Spirit, and this is something that our Lord Jesus Christ definitely used as a man, as a human. Remember, he was the God-man. He was undiminished deity and true humanity in one body forever. But as man, according to Matthew 4, he was led by the Spirit. You know John talked about the Spirit descended upon him. Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, as a man, operated under the filling of the Holy Spirit just exactly like you and I can do. We have been given the Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ said that when he went away, he would send his spirit, and that his spirit would mentor us and tutor us. And we are commanded in the Bible to be filled with the spirit. This is where a lot of controversy comes into the Christian life because Satan has successfully taken this doctrine and made it very confusing. And that's why the Bible says we're to study to show ourselves approved unto God, workmen that needeth not to be ashamed, but rightly dividing the word of truth. So the filling of the Holy Spirit is a simple process whereby we allow the Holy Spirit to control our life under the protocol plan of God. 
it's not something where we fall out in the floor and foam at the mouth and and do some weird things. That is not the filling of the Holy Spirit. The filling of the Holy Spirit, as per the Bible says, Ephesians 5.18, be filled with the Spirit, is mandated. And any time you rebound a known sin, you are filled with the Spirit. The third problem-solving device that Jesus Christ our Lord used was the faith rest drill. Again, in Matthew 4, you see where he quoted Scripture when Satan tempted him. We also know that he was oriented to grace. We know that he was oriented to his Father's Word. That's doctrinal orientation or biblical orientation. We know that he had a personal sense of destiny. He told the disciples where he was going and why he was going to the cross. We know that he had personal love for his Father and impersonal love for those around him. And we know that he had maximum happiness. Those are eight of the problem-solving devices that we have available. He never had to rebound. We do. And he didn't have to be occupied with Christ. He was Christ. We are to be occupied with Christ. So those are our ten unique problem-solving devices. Now, how is all of this stuff lived? This is where you have to get down to the mechanics of the Christian life. It's called mind games. And this is what I want you to understand. You live your Christian life in your mind, in your head, not on the outside. You see, God is not concerned with your image and your style. God is concerned with what you're thinking. And when he wants to look at you, when he wants to check you out, he doesn't care what kind of suit you're wearing. He doesn't care what kind of shoes you have on or watch you have on. What he's concerned with is what's in your heart. So let's go to Psalm 119, verse 11. Here the psalmist writes these words. He said, quoting now, Your word have I hidden in my heart so that I might not sin against you. Did you hear it? Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. So we got three things here. Your word, the power to live the Christian life, comes from the Word of God combined with the filling of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit needs the Word of God. The Holy Spirit uses the Word of God. The Holy Spirit is the vehicle. The Word of God is the fuel. Does that make sense? And so the Holy Spirit takes the Scripture that you have learned. Here he said, I hid it in my heart. Now, let's go take a look at the word heart. In the New Testament, that's the word cardia, and it concerns the thinking part of the soul. The Bible uses a couple of words for this, the nous, the N-O-U-S in the New Testament, which is the mind, and the cardia, K-A-R-D-I-A, which is the heart. And what is the difference between the mind and the heart? And the difference is this, information that you learn is in the mind. Information that you learn, believe, and apply is in the heart. So if it's just in the mind, the Greeks called it gnosis or knowledge. But if it's in the heart, it was called epinosis or full knowledge. So learning the Word of God and applying the Word of God becomes what the Bible calls wisdom. Wisdom and understanding. But you cannot understand what you don't know. 
You cannot apply what you don't know. Therefore, God has made it possible for us to learn his word. That's why he says, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. That's why the Bible says, grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So the question is, how do I study? How do I grow so that I can hide the word of God in my heart? And the answer is how God set it up. He set it up so that you and I could learn his word under a man who has the spiritual gift called in the Greek New Testament the poimen kai didaskalos, or the shepherd and the teacher, the pastor and the teacher. It's a spiritual gift. It's a unique gift he gives, just like the gift of evangelism, just like the gift of mercy, just like the gift of helps, just like the gift of giving. It's a supernatural gift that God bestows upon a male, a man, a male member of the human race. And he has the gift of pastor-teacher. His job, if he fulfills the gift, is to study and prepare himself so that he can then teach you and shepherd you and guide you. That's the job of the pastor-teacher. And how does he guide me? Your word I have hidden in my heart. So it's not some philosophy. It's not some human psychology. It's Bible doctrine. It's the word of God. There we have problem-solving device number five, doctrinal orientation. You must orient to the word of God. This is called divine viewpoint thinking. Not human viewpoint thinking. Divine viewpoint thinking. So when you're thinking divine viewpoint, then you're thinking what would God do? When you're thinking human viewpoint, you're thinking, what will I do or what will man do? Under human viewpoint, you may go to a friend and ask them for their opinion. You may go to uh, the newspaper and look up Dear Abby or Dear Ann and see what they would say about it. Maybe you would even go and look under the stars to see what your horoscope says about it. But you need to look into the word of God and see what God says about it. That's why the psalmist says, I hid your word, meaning I learned your word, and I hid it in my heart. All right, let's take a look at this just for a minute. When you learn something, there's a difference between the rate of learning and the rate of forgetting. If you don't learn it, you'll forget it. And so... Repetition is critical sometimes. When someone goes into the army, they don't just take them out one day and say, this is how you march. When someone goes into the army, they take them out and they make a march every day. Every day during boot camp, they have to march. So they learn through repetition what it means to march and turn right and turn left and do formations and whatever. Repetition is critical. So whenever a Christian says something like this, I've heard that before, that's a sign of arrogance. That's an arrogant person that says, oh, I already know all that. No, you don't know all that. I assure you. I assure you that Scripture is layered. And just when you think you know everything about John 3.16, you may pull back the layer and find some things you don't know underneath the first layer. 
So the pastor teaches the Word of God. You learn the Word of God and apply the Word of God and glorify God as a result. And where do you store the Word? In your heart, in your memory center, in your frame of reference. It comes out in your vocabulary. People can hear, see by the way you talk, what you think, what you know. And why do you do all of this? Purpose clause, so that I might not sin against you. Sin against you. Now, here's something that's very critical. You can sin by something you say. And the Bible says, watch out for the tongue, James. You can sin by something you do. And the Bible says, don't let the old sin nature control your life, Galatians. Or you can sin by something you think. And we'll see that in a minute as well. Yes, you can sin by something you think. You can sit in your car, drive down the interstate, sit in your chair at home, sit in your chair at office, and sin. And never get up. Sin right there. Because of something you're thinking. Mental attitude sins are critical. And to be quite honest about it, mental attitude sins are what get a lot of us. So the purpose that we have this is that I might not sin against you. Let's break that down, that I might not disobey your mandates. If God is to bless you, if God is to pour out blessing in your life, the first thing that he's going to look for is obedience. All right? Who is not obedient? The arrogant person is not obedient. The arrogant person justifies why they don't have to obey God. The arrogant person justifies why they got a better deal. The arrogant person says, I don't believe that stuff to start with. It's always amazing. It's always amazing how blind arrogant people can be. And it's not just in regards to the Bible. It's in regards to life. They're blind. They have an unrealistic self-image. They think they're something they're not. And everyone around them can see what an idiot they are. And yet, and they look into the mirror, they see a genius. That's the danger of arrogance. So your word, the scripture, doctrine, learned. I hid it in my heart. I reviewed it. I, I went back over it. I recalled it. Why? So I wouldn't sin against you. So I wouldn't violate the protocol plan of God. There's some simple things there that are so simple, <laughs> they're convoluted. What, what does that mean? God, listen, it doesn't mean God just doesn't want you to drink, smoke, dance, or chew, or run around with those that do. Listen, he doesn't want you to sin. This boils down to a lot of things. This can boil down to getting out of his will, going north when you should have gone south. That can be a sin. This can boil down to you panicking and getting into human viewpoint thinking when you should be using divine viewpoint. And you're not fornicating. You're not getting drunk. You're not doing the obvious biggies. But you're sinning because you've abandoned the plan of God, substituted your own plan for it. Psalm 101, verse 3, goes on to say, I will set nothing wicked before my eyes. 
I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not cling to me. What this verse is telling us is that as believers in Jesus Christ, we have to be very careful of what we get involved with. Number one, not to allow ourselves to be put in a position where we're tempted. And number two, not to admire the work of the arrogant person, the work of the evil person. Do not let those thoughts cling to you. So I will set nothing wicked before my eyes. That does not mean that you never watch a movie unless it's G-rated. That's not what this is saying. What this is saying is you will not be enamored with sin. You will not be enamored with the sinner. Recently, for example, just give you an example. Recently, there's a a show on television, and and I think they call it uh, some kind of world series of poker. And a young 23-year-old boy won $8 million playing poker. There are a lot of people that think that $8 million would bring them a lot of happiness. A lot of lottery tickets are sold every day. People looking for that happiness. When you start thinking like that, when you start thinking that if you could win that $8 million, if, if you could be the winner of the poker thing, if you could be the winner of the lottery, you're looking to the details in life to make you happy. And that's the wicked you put before your eyes. That's the lure of the devil. It is that people or circumstances can make you happy. Neither one are the key to happiness. What I'm about to tell you is the key to happiness, and you might not agree with it, but these are the words of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Luke 11, 27 and 28. Happiness belongs to those people who hear my Father's word and keep it. Hear my Father's word and keep it. There's nothing in life any better than to have a clear conscience. There's nothing in life any better than to have capacity for living and to be content with what you have. And people that aren't content and don't have capacity and have a distorted, oh, (laughs) abused conscience, they're not happy. They're not happy. So when you set nothing wicked before your eyes, this means you're not buying into human viewpoint thinking. Listen to 2 Corinthians 10, 5. Cast down arguments. Cast down every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Casting down means to walk away from. Walk away from what the world has. Walk away from what the world offers you. Every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Again, that's where your happiness is. Happiness belongs to those people who hear my Father's word and keep it. That's the knowledge of God. And what do you do? Bringing every thought into captivity. This is how you live the Christian life. It's in your thoughts. It's in your mind. And it is training your mind to be obedient to God. Listen, we all have one simple thing inside of us. 
We all have a volition. We all have the ability to choose. We all can say yes, and we all can say no. And we all have a sinful nature, an old sin nature. And your old sin nature doesn't cause you to sin. Your old sin nature is the source of temptation. And Satan knows the buttons to push. He knows which buttons to push that are going to get your old sin nature to flare itself up. And then when the old sin nature flares up, it's up to the volition to, to either say, yes, let's go ahead and do it, or no, we're not going to do it. It's all in your mind. It's all in your mind. It's not on the outside. It's not you walking around like some holy saint of God trying to impress people because you look holy. It's how you think. That's why the Bible says, let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus, Philippians 2, 5. Learning to think like he thought. How did he think? Well, he did not buy into the devil's world. He didn't buy into human viewpoint thinking. And that's the question. What are you going to buy into? You may know that I played some football at the University of Alabama back in the 60s when Coach Paul Bear Bryant was the head coach there. He had a system. Today we have a coach named Nick Saban. Nick Saban has won a few national championships, and he has a system. If you ever listen to him talk, he talks about the players buying into the system. And if they don't buy in, they can't play. That's the same way God is with you. If you don't buy into the system, if you don't learn it and live by it, you are never going to glorify God, and you will never experience the life God has for you. You cannot make the rules up as you go along. You cannot say, well, I think the Christian life ought to be lived like this, that I should go sit on a log in the middle of the swamp and breathe in the miasma of the swamp and listen for God and the hoot owl. That's not the Christian life. That might be a, the nature's way or the naturalist or whatever. It's not the Christian life. The Christian life is study to show thyself approved unto God. The Christian life is growing the grace and the knowledge of your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Without these two things, listen to what the Lord said in Luke, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Learn. How do you learn? You study. You grow. You apply. You memorize. You recall. You apply in your life. That's the only way you can ever cast down the arguments that Satan will throw your way. Casting down, 2 Corinthians 5.10, the arguments and the high things that exalt itself over God. What's he talking about? He's talking about people or circumstances can make you happy. A new car, a new house, a new boyfriend, a new girlfriend, a new this, a new that. If I just had this or I had that, then I'd be happy. No. The reason that won't make you happy is you don't have contentment where you are. If you're not content where you are, then nothing will make you happy because you always want more. And that's why Paul said, I've learned whatever shape I'm in to be content. Whether I have a lot or whether I have a little does not make any difference.
bringing every thought into captivity. Is that 24-7? Yes, it is. Does that mean I can never have any fun in life anymore, that all I got to do is sit around and stare at the Bible and think about the Bible all day? No, it's not what it means. Listen, God wants you to have a lot of fun. I have a lot of fun in my life. A lot of things I do are fun, but they're all related to what the Scripture says. Even if I'm on the lake fishing, if I'm in the woods hunting, if I'm going to out to eat to dinner in a theater, it's always about what does the Bible say. My conversations always revolve around things like that with like-minded people who love the Word of God like I do. Listen to Romans 12, 1 through 3. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. This is Paul. I'm begging you by God's mercy that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. In other words, that you bring your body to God and say, here it is, use it. Holy, acceptable to God. Holy means you're filled with the Holy Spirit. God can't use you if your old sin nature is controlling you and you're carnal. Holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. This is not abnormal. And then listen to the next verse. And do not be conformed to this world. In other words, don't think like they think. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That means to change your mind. The renewing of your mind so that you can now prove what is the good and the acceptable and the perfect will of God. The good, the acceptable, and the perfect will of God for you. God has nothing but good for you. God has a plan that he wants you to accept. It is a perfect plan. It will make you happy beyond your wildest dream. You know, I hear people talk about dreams and living their dreams. God's plan goes so far beyond your dreams, you could not even imagine it. But you'll never have it, and you'll never realize it until you have a hunger to learn it, to grow, to grow, and to stay out of arrogance. Therefore, Paul winds up saying in Romans 12, 3, For I say through the grace of God given to me to everyone who's among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. That's the arrogance. But to think soberly or with humility, as God has dealt to each one of us a measure of faith. God makes war against the arrogant, but he gives grace to the humble. That's a scripture verse. It's there. That's the plan of God. I've just laid out for you how critical it is what you think. That's where your Christian life is lived. That's what God looks at when he wants to check you out, your thoughts. I hope it's made sense. I hope I'm encouraging you. And I hope you'll contact me if you want to learn some more and grow. Until next week, this is your host, Rick Hughes, saying thank you for listening to The Floodline. Thank you for listening to The Floodline with your host, Rick Hughes. If you'd like to contact Rick, please write to him at P.O. Box 100, Cropwell, Alabama, 35054. 
or online at www.rickhughesministries.org.